Hi, okay, Sam. So it's been a it's been a while. <laughs> been a I second. think we forgot how to how to podcast. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks. It has been. It's and co- so been a couple sorry. long weeks, though. Yes, yes, and we are sorry that you know we haven't been as consistent. You know, Sam and I have always just been in this mindset of like we're gonna get an episode out every week and make yeah. sure that you guys have content, but. I think we just weren't really prepared for how intense just both like work and school have gotten, but we really are constantly thinking about you guys and just new episodes that, you know, you guys want to hear about. And we're still continuing on with our transportation series. Um, So today we're going to be talking about that. And then Sam and I have discussed um, doing kind of like a brainstorm, like visioning board for 2023. And so we got a lot of feedback from you guys on Instagram about episodes that you guys are interested in. And so we're going to be hashing out all those details and we're talking about all kinds of guests that we want on. So just get ready for 2023 because we're prepping for you guys. (laughs) Yeah, we are getting ready. And now we're done with finals. Yes. (laughs) Actually breathe a little bit. Yeah. How were your finals? Like, how did they go for you? How was everything? Um, they honestly weren't too bad. Definitely the hardest one for me was our like real estate class or like okay. our ho- affordable housing class, just because performers are hard yeah. and we had some esteemed guest judges and like, I'm sure that they're like super awesome, nice people, but I think our professor like there was probably just like a, a miscommunication of like For what sure. was expected from us and like what we kind of came in with to the final knowing. Cause there were just some questions where they were like, well, why didn't you do X, Y, Z? Or why didn't you look into this funding source? And we were like, literally don't know. Like, Yeah. Yeah. During the pro forma presentation for me, I think one of the um, guests had asked like, well, why didn't you seek out the no place like home uh, funding source? Yeah. And I remember like reading the notice of funding availability for No Place Like Home was one of the most confusing things I've ever read that like, as soon as I started reading it, I was like, first of all, this is something that you do with consultants. Usually right. like you as an urban planner do not look through NOFAs. Yeah. So I was like, um, I just, it's not making a lot of sense. Like I need to look at an alternative. And I felt like, unfortunately, that wasn't like the greatest answer, but it's like, I think they forgot, like, we're not actually building these projects. Like we don't really know, you know, all the ins and outs of like, like finance, both public, private, like whatever the case. So it was really funny, like just kind of hearing like their feedback. Cause I don't think they were familiar with what like our project actually entailed or like what was being asked of us so yeah it was so funny you were standing up there like looking up at the screen and you're like honestly I read the Nova and I I I just I didn't really understand it uh I I didn't really know what we needed and I was like it's true like some of these things like I I was noticing a lot of us use like a particular funding source called like affordable housing and sustainable communities yeah and different people had like different things listed as what was required from the funding source and I was like we can't even like decipher yeah like what do we need in our project to to qualify versus like what is like I just felt like the NOFAs had like so much information that it was through like okay what do I actually need to do yes and I remember too like so in ASIC in their NOFA it had this breakdown where it was like, you need to include um, amenities for Mm -hmm. public use. It can't just be like for the private resident use. And so um, I looked up under the NOFA, like in the NOFA, what would be an amenity, a transit Mm -hmm. amenity or transportation amenity that the public could utilize. And one of them uh, in the NOFA was bike parking. So I included that in my project. And then the guest speaker was like, you're not getting any points for bike parking. And I was like, but it said it in the NOFA. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you want from me. You know what I included for mine? No. A walking school bus for the kids because we were within like a quarter of a mile of a school. Okay. Perfect. And I was like, it's listed under one of the programs. So I'm going to do that because it's limited. Like you don't need a lot of funds. I literally put in my pro forma under the other section 
like 10K as like startup and marketing and like stipends for people. Honestly, good on you. I did not add anything into the other section. I was like, first of all, the budget already, we were at like a $50 million project. Yeah. I was like, we're done. We're not adding any more expenses. Like we had to demolish a building. Um, it was just like a lot. So we had uh, a a structure on like maybe a 10th of our site and we had to do demolition costs for the whole thing too. I was like, there's not even a building on most of this. Can't we like do that divided by 10? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think it's also though, because there was the calculation for demolishing a building, but then also for, um, you have to like level the land and clear it. And, and then also like there's, I mean, cause I on at work, like we deal with performance as well. There's so much more, like you have to do, um, soil analysis for like environmental review. Like there's a lot of stuff that like, luckily we didn't have to actually go through because it's really complicated. And so this is again, where it's like, we aren't writing pro formas consultants are like, we aren't. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's why like our professor was a lot more lenient, mm-hmm. but then like the guests were, had all the expectations of like what a standard performer would be like. Right. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I'm not done yet with yeah. this program. Like <laughs> give me some more time. Literally. But that's yeah. How, yeah. So the rest of your finals are doing good that or we're well, we're what? They were well. <laughs> they were <laughs> I think I'm forgetting how to speak English, honestly, because I've been looking at my computer for too long. Um, Um, So everything went well. Yeah. um, I actually already got one of my grades back. Oh, good. Okay. In my like grade book, like the actual one, not like Blackboard. Nice. Okay, cool. Oh, you mean like on your transcript? Yeah. Wow. And I got a, a Good for you. I feel like now maybe I should check because my first final that was due was on Thursday and then the next one was on Friday. So I wonder if she has like done the grades yet. I don't know. Maybe not. It was a quick turnaround. Yeah, that is really Um, fast. Good on your professor. She had like some like medical thing coming up. So I think she just like wanted to get them all. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, so that's good. And yeah, I'm just happy to be done. Yes, honestly. And then I'm taking two weeks off for the holidays. Yeah, it's funny because last semester I was working 36 hours a week and we had four classes. And this semester I'm working 30 hours a week and we have three classes. And I feel like I'm more overwhelmed now. I think it's the burnout. (laughs) For sure. Like, I just think that it's like the like mental, just like exhaustion. Yeah. And I'm just quite honestly ready to be done with school. Yes. Yeah. Just one more semester though. Like I I, I cannot believe that. I yeah, feel like yeah. the time flew by. I know. The fact that I'm looking at jobs in like outside of LA, I'm like I know. I feel like I like I just moved. I know. Cuz I kind of did. Yeah. No, really. I mean, I'll be 24 in two days. And I remember when I It's your birthday in two days? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. I just straight up would not have known that. (laughs) That's okay. I don't feel so bad. Oh my God. Don't feel bad at all. I'm really not big on my birthday, not even a little. And so I love my birthday. Nobody would know until they knew. Like if someone Oh my God. What the heck? Yeah, well, I just happy birthday. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I just I'm saying like can't believe I'm going to be 24, and I just feel like I start I started this program I was 22. Like, I just can't believe that. I really cannot believe that. I really cannot believe that it's your birthday almost, <laughs> and you weren't going to tell me. No, of course I would have told you, but yeah, on your birthday, and then I'm in the asshole. <laughs> no. I also are we allowed to swear yeah do you remember my series of saying the f word like three times in one episode so don't even worry about it and also I definitely would not have been upset like I said I'm not really big on my birthday so people don't reach out it's fine because I'm not really thinking (laughs) I will definitely be reaching out well thank you I'll circle back to that on your birthday (laughs) for sure Hey, welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam. And I'm Nat. 
All right, let's dive into this topic because it's a doozy. It's a big one. Yes, it is. And it's so interesting. And I feel like it's just like this common thing that so many people often talk about, which is just like, why does traffic exist? And, you know, if we can just continue to build like more and more freeways, why isn't that solving traffic congestion? And so Sam and I today are going to be talking to you about all you need to know regarding congestion and induced demand. Um, And so we'll just start by kind of giving you an overview of what induced demand is, which is, you know, this concept that decision makers will often equate congestion to plumbing. And so to accommodate heavier water flow, you would need to widen the pipe. And so this is the concept of in order to address traffic congestion, you would need to widen the freeways. And then that's going to basically free the flow of traffic. And so when travel times decrease and driving becomes more convenient due to the widening of roads, people end up driving more. And so this is where we get the challenges of induced demand because we are caught in this extended vicious cycle of widening highways and then seeing more traffic flows. And so here's basically how it happens. You have everyone responding to the thrill of an open new road and then development follows prompting more and longer car trips often. And then we are essentially right back to where we started, but with millions of dollars in the hole. And the problem with this is that the concept is the solution and what is often stated by many policymakers, many politicians and elected officials is we need to invest more in our roads and we need to continue to expand the freeways because that's going to be the solution to traffic congestion. And the problem is that, as we'll discuss throughout history, this is absolutely not the case, specifically due to the fact that induced demand is the reality of what happens when you widen the freeways because you are essentially creating demand for highways because you're giving people this concept that, oh, well, there are new lanes on the highway. So now I can get on and there's not going to be traffic. And every single person thinks like this. And so they end up using the highway, especially because we do not have alternative modes or alternate options. So people are like, oh, okay, well, they're adding a new lane. I'm getting on. And so that's just one of the kind of overviews of, you know, trying to explain what induced demand is and I'll let Sam kind of finish it off. Yeah. I feel like there's like these kind of vicious, like you were saying like feedback cycles kind of yeah where it's like you start with a problem. I think it's, I should know this because in my environmental studies classes, we would always talk about feedback loops and it's like, Oh, like you like there's more carbon in the atmosphere and then more ice melts and then like there's more water and then that water absorbs more of the sunlight and then the sunlight melts the ice and the the problem just keeps going. I can't remember if it's negative or a positive feedback loop, Mm -hmm. but it's one of them. Yeah. Not the good one. (laughs) Um, so basically like, okay, you live in a city and there's a lot of traffic and the local government says, okay, we're going to widen the freeway. So we're going to invest all of this money into this capital improvement project of like widening the highways. And so everyone's like, yay, more road space. That's Mm -hmm. great. There's not going to be any traffic. And then once the roads open and there's like one or two more lanes, when you continuously have more and more people realizing like, oh my gosh, there's so much more space. Like now I can drive here. And oftentimes when there is like capital like improvement projects development like housing and um commercial developments follow because it's like Mm -hmm. there's oh like all this new space and this Mm -hmm. new like innovation whatever yeah and then the traffic just comes back yes and there's more people more cars and yeah like when you prompt development in places where there wasn't really much before or there wasn't like as much then and you don't complement that development with like alternative modes that are like safe and accessible and convenient then you're just going to have longer car trips to get like to a downtown or to get to a big job center right and I think too like Um, we had talked about this a while ago. Um, someone had posted like this TikTok, and they were like, oh my God, 
Texas has a 26 lane highway. Mm -hmm. Why can't California, why doesn't LA bring uh, something similar to, you know, to our region? And um, for those of you who are not familiar with that highway, it is in Katy, Texas. I believe it's called Katy Highway. Um, And I believe it was within the first like four months of the highway opening. It became one of the most congested freeways in our entire nation. And the problem with that is that, yes, it is 26 lanes and some of them are, um, you know, specialized, like only trucks can go in certain lanes, but most of them are open capacity for, um, for single occupancy vehicles. And the problem is though, that those 26 lanes eventually end up condensing. And so it ends up bottlenecking. So all the cars that were utilizing the capacity saying, oh my God, 26 lanes. Well, it's 13 lanes on either side. So 13 lanes. Wow. So big. I'm going to get on here. They end up getting on. And so, yes, there's, you know, free flow along the 13 lanes and then it bottlenecks back into, you know, a standard five to six lane highway. And then you'll see some of the most significant traffic congestion because those 26 lanes don't just continue. And we see these problems happen and arise so often that I'm really shocked at individuals who continue to say that this is going to be the solution to traffic congestion. Like it it genuinely doesn't make sense because we have so much historical significant data that's available. And also we have the lived experience of you still have seen how far highways have come throughout history and you still continue to see traffic congestion getting worse. So we, we can kind of decipher that this is not a solution. Expanding the freeway is not a solution. And then eventually we're going to run out of space as well. You know, how how much farther do you want us to expand the freeways? How many more lanes can we build? How many more neighborhoods can we impact? I mean, it, it needs to stop somewhere. And then we start, we need to start coming up with more innovative solutions and people are doing that. But then there's just this mindset of like, no, I need the highway. I need to be in my own private vehicle. And so I think it's also kind of shifting that narrative as well. That's been like a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what we think would be most helpful is there's this really great report by Transportation for America and it's called the congestion con how more lanes and more money equals more traffic and really quickly before natalie kind of dives into like what this report is telling us i'm just going to say a little bit about transportation for america because i think that it's a pretty cool organization um they are a program of smart growth america and is an advocacy organization made up of local, regional, and state leaders who envision a transportation system that safely, affordably, and conveniently connects people of all means and ability to jobs, services, and opportunity through multiple modes of travel. So it makes sense that they would look into something like this as, you know, multimodal transportation is kind of their whole, I guess, part of their ethos. And so... Um, yeah, I just thought that this report was really compelling Yes, and provided really like great metrics for, oh, like population wasn't growing as fast as like we might think for the level of congestion that we're seeing, but, um, Nat, did you want to dive into some of the findings? (laughs) Yeah. So basically this report that was brought to us by Transportation for America, um, examines changes in population, lane miles of freeways, and congestion in 100 of the largest urbanized areas in the United States between 1993, which is the earliest year with a complete data set, and 2017. So it also looks at other related changes in those cities like VMT or vehicle miles traveled and also driving commute travel times. So according to the report, we have added in the United States 30,511 new freeway lane miles in the largest 100 urbanized areas between 1993 and 2017, which is an increase of 42%. That rate of expansion has significantly outstripped the 32% growth in population in those regions over that same time period. And yet this strategy has utterly failed to solve congestion. And we can see that both just through, if we want to do our own, you know, investigation of data, we can see that, but also you sitting in two hours of traffic on your way home, you understand that the expansion of highways is is not solving our challenges. 
So we also know that states alone have spent more than $500 billion on highway capital investments in the urbanized areas between 1993 and 2017 from that from the report, and that is a sizable portion of that budget of the $500 billion on those capital investments were for specifically highway expansion projects. So for roads that are already in good condition, it still costs approximately $24,000 per year on average to maintain each lane mile in a state of good repair, creating additional financial liabilities now and for years into the future, because obviously this infrastructure is permanent. Mm -hmm. And so the maintenance will remain permanent into the future. And that is per lane yes. mile. I was Not just per say, yeah. lane. Yes. Per, I, per one mile mm -hmm. of one lane. And if yes. we're talking a five or six lane freeway. Yeah. That is over a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars per year per mile. Yes. Yes. Don't so even when you wonder where your money's going. Yeah. Highways. <laughs> right. I think uh, our bill, I think it's SB1 that is our tax for the highway system. We also collect it off the gas tax. Yeah. Um, that's a whole other challenge right now, too, because we're actually losing money uh, from the gas tax. And it's very interesting because in my transportation class, we were actually talking about this. I thought this was so crazy. Our professor was sharing a um, some data and information from a report in which um, they asked individuals whether or not they would be willing to fund transit projects um, through local taxes. So it could have been sales tax or it could have been just tax increases like anywhere that they were discussing within a budget. And many, many people displayed significant support for increasing their taxes in order to fund public transit. And I remember I was like, what? Like, why would they do that? And the reason was, according to the report, that individuals wanted to get people off of highways mm. and into public transit. And so they were willing to take a tax increase if it meant that it would alleviate congestion on the highway. And it isn't, it's so crazy to me, like the mindset that people have of like, well, no, like I, I want to stay in my car. I want to stay in my car, but I don't want to stay in my car in traffic. So I'm going to fund you know, capital improvement projects or projects for public transportation. It's right. really, really interesting. Like the mindset of, um, of drivers, it's, it's yeah. really crazy. Um, so back to the report, based on all this information, they ended up finding that in those 100 urbanized areas, congestion has grown. Congestion has grown by a staggering 144%, far outpacing population growth. 144% increase in congestion. So there were also findings in the, in the report that VMT per person increased 20% between 1993 and 2017. One of the largest causes of this phenomenon is due to urban sprawl. So right now, land is always cheaper farther away from the urban core or farther away from the city center. And so often development is incentivized in these areas. It's also cheaper. So demand will increase because people, you know, are able to afford it farther mm -hmm. away. So often what will end up happening is that development hikes in these areas in sprawling communities. And because it's more affordable, people obviously have increased demand for it. So they buy that house, but they still often tend to work in the city center. So their commute is going from a farther distance because they live farther away from where they work. And so they're commuting into their work and then they're commuting back home. And so this is due to, you know, greater distances between housing and other destinations. And then this is also urban sprawl is forcing people to take longer and longer trips on a handful of regional highways to fulfill their daily needs, mm -hmm. whether it's to get to work or to, you know, a restaurant or to go meet friends and family, whatever the case, the distance they've found is greater. And so the VMTs are increasing. Yeah. So, and I think that this like really interestingly, like connects back to like our discussion about 15 minute cities, because yeah this kind of talked about oh like if we just had like 
local centers where it's like, oh, your pharmacy, your grocery store, yep. your hospital, all these things were within like a short walk, bike, yeah. even drive, but like a short one, then it would just be like so much less of this, like, oh, I need to go to like the big box store, like the Target right. in the city or whatever, like 30 minutes away to get everything that I need. Exactly. So I'm just going to do that. Or like, I don't know. It was, it's just like interesting how like literally all of this yeah, ties together. Yes. I remember, um, when I was living in Riverside, um, which for those of you who don't know, Riverside is in the Inland Empire. Um, and it, so from my apartment, if I needed to go to a Target or like a Best Buy or Home Depot or Lowe's, it was a 15 minute drive and I had to get on the freeway in order to get there. And when we would, you know, drive there, the center was like this hub. It was like, there was a Costco, a Sam's Club, a, a Home Depot, a Lowe's, a Target. I mean, there was everything right where you needed it, but you had to drive 15 minutes away from where you were. But in my community, I really, really enjoyed living in, in my area because we had, in walking distance from my unit, um, we had a Ralph's grocery store, a local coffee shop, a Starbucks. We had like all of these really, um, they had local restaurants. It was like a really nice, like walkable area. And it was right next to my university. So everything was in a very, very good distance, you know, from to where I lived. And that was the closest thing that I ever had seen to like a walkable area mm-hmm. or space to live in. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And so seeing the benefit of that while also at the same time, seeing that like bigger box stores were still so far away from where I was actually at was a really interesting, like thing to think about in terms of transportation. Um, so basically again, just going back to this report, they're highlighting that the simple fact is we're where we build and what we're building is going to affect how much we drive. So sprawling development is going to create greater distances between home, work, and other destinations. And we have essentially perfected this design of an ever-expanding roadway system that forces people to drive just longer distances to accomplish their life's daily needs. And so the country's biggest commute travel time increases aren't because of delay, according to this report. So in eight of the 10 urbanized areas that had the biggest increases in travel time, the majority of that new travel time at peak periods was spent in free flow rather than congested conditions. So longer trips and more driving, but not necessarily more congestion, which is also very interesting, according to this report. So when neighborhoods and commercial areas lack a network of smaller, well-connected local streets, cars end up piling onto major roads even if it's for very short trips. And so this means that drivers have to take more trips, which also means more turns that create, I'm sorry. This also means that there are more conflicts created that require more traffic signals. So all of this makes walking, biking, and transit a much less viable option, which then encourages or forces people to drive who might have otherwise walked or biked or used transit. And so it also means that those major roads have to carry more local traffic than they would need to if drivers had the option to use alternative modes of transportation, or if they could possibly use smaller side routes between their destinations. And so all of that traffic ends up being poured onto the few larger roads and creates even more delay and a less inviting environment for people who do want to use alternative mobility options. And so this is just this concept that you can't talk about transportation without talking about housing, without talking about the environment, without talking about urban design. Like there are significant things that need to be taken into consideration, which is why I think it's so important that when you're involved in urban planning, you can't just specialize in one. And I think that's what I love so much about our program. And I'm sure for many other urban uh, planning programs around the, around the country and in the world is that you can't look at these things in silos because they're all interconnected. They're all intersectional. And so when we're talking about 
traffic, transit, transportation of any kind. We're also talking about housing development. We're also talking about impacts on the environment. We're talking about the way that a space is designed and who it's designed for. And so I think it's really interesting that when we do talk about induced demand, there are other factors that don't just involve drivers. It also involves housing development and affordability and all of these other, you know, kind of impacts that really do play a major role in how we plan for our transportation and transit moving forward. And the thing is, is that everybody makes this argument that like, oh my God, you just want to push everybody out of their car and into a bus or a train. And the problem is that that's not what we want to do. But right now we have such low ridership and, and since the pandemic, it's only been decreasing. I think right now our ridership is at approximately two or 3% nationally. That's significantly low, especially considering the amount of investment that we have given into transit. And we've had my dad on here talking about the complications with transit that make it less convenient. And so there are a lot of nuances to the challenges. But the problem is, is that we're not trying to kick everybody out of their car and say, hey, get off the road and we're going to demolish the freeway. We're not going to do that. That's not the goal. But I think what we need to stop talking about is expanding freeways as if that's going to be the solution. And that that's going to be the, you know, like as if it hasn't finally clicked, like we've been doing this and it's not solving the issues. So we do need to start thinking about innovative solutions to this challenge. And so Sam and I aren't on here to say everybody stop driving, but we're more so, especially when Sam and I talk just between one another, we just want to see more innovative solutions that do provide people with the opportunity, if they choose to take it, that the option is efficient and effective and equitable. Because right now it's not, not even in the transit side. We have a lot of equity issues. We have a lot of efficiency issues, a lot of convenience issues, safety issues. There's a lot of things that are involved with transit and mobility that makes it very difficult for people to choose those options. And so I think that's just something that like I want to echo is that I'm not trying to pull you guys out of your car. I drive everywhere because it really is like my only viable option. Um, We have a bus that comes, I think, like every two hours, but that just doesn't work. And so, you know, I think it really just becomes this conversation of we are not solving any traffic congestion issues by expanding freeways. And we also have a lot of issues surrounding transit. So now we need to kind of tackle both of those things. And, you know, I I don't have all of the answers, but eventually Sam and I want to bring people on who maybe do have more knowledge about how we can begin to actually address these challenges. Yeah, and I think that this report kind of weaves together a lot of these different kind of facets of the issue, like when they talk about safety. Yeah. And it's like, yes, like the more trips that you have generated in cars, single occupancy vehicles and other other vehicles, mm-hmm. like the more risk there's going to be for people who are walking Yes. And biking. And so I think that like that is something that I don't personally think about all that often, although I do experience it like it's kind of just something I've accepted almost, which like sounds bad, but it is just like a thing like, oh, you're going to ride your bike. Like, make sure you wear a helmet, like signal, like you have to like, basically like you have to be like the onus is on the biker to stay safe, not necessarily on the cars to like, not hit a biker or like like, not turn right in front of a biker. Right. Exactly. Um, And so I think that we'll definitely link this report in, in the description because I think it would be a worthwhile read in terms of how all of these different sectors and kind of just topics connect. Yeah. And I think too, like that just plays into urban design. Like when you have, even if it's just first last mile issues, like first last mile, basically 
how you're going to get from your original start point to your transit stop and then from your transit stop to your destination Mm -hmm. and then vice versa. So first last mile issues, one of the greatest concerns I've seen through reports or, you know, just hearing from community members is that, okay, well, I could walk to my bus stop, but, you know, um, I, I'm a wheelchair. I, have wheelchair accessibility issues because the sidewalks are too narrow. And so in order for me to get to the bus stop, I would need to use the specific sidewalk, except it's too narrow for my wheelchair. So I I would have to be in the street. So I'm putting myself at risk. So no, I'm not going to go to that bus stop. And so then the option is limited because now you don't have the opportunity to use that bus. Mm-hmm. Even if the bus is really efficient and it comes every 15 or 30 minutes, you can't even get there. If you're an elderly person and there isn't enough bench seating for you that if you get tired on your way to the bus stop and you need to sit down, you will not take that route to the bus stop. You're not going to that bus route. Because or if you it gets these- dark at 5 p.m. Exactly. And there's not adequate lighting. I mean, all of these factors also play into whether someone is going to utilize that option. And yeah. so when we make it when we create barriers to that accessibility, that's also going to stop people from even utilizing that option. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just keeps going, keeps going. So there are just so many challenges that have to be addressed. And uh, I wish we could address all of them in this episode, but it's just too complicated. This titled episode, not in Sam's solve. Solve traffic congestion, congestion. public transportation issues in under one hour. Yeah. Um. So this report also had a really interesting take that I had like literally never even, this never even crossed my mind before, but this whole goal of eliminating congestion, obviously we all have had times where we hate traffic. Most of the time I hate traffic. I'm like, I just want to be at my destination. Absolutely. And I think that's a whole other thing about people and just our, our disregard of the third space. Like we don't care yeah. about how we're getting to where we're going. And I think that that's another really interesting thing about people, but that's for another episode. (laughs) So this report kind of goes on to say that eliminating congestion, like in its totality is just simply the wrong goal that we should be having. Um, While severe congestion can have really negative impacts, congestion is also generally a symptom of a successful and vibrant economy. Way to look Um, on the bright side. I know. (laughs) It is a sign of a place that people want to be. So instead of the goal being let's end congestion, Mm -hmm. our goal should be providing and improving access to the desirable places that people want to go. Yes. So that all ties in. It all ties in to we have a problem and our problem being traffic. But how do we solve it? Do we solve it? by saying, oh, we're going to eliminate congestion. Let's just add more lanes. Or do we solve it by saying, well, how else can we get people from point A to point B? Exactly. So that people have the option of driving. People have the option, if that is the most convenient, the most accessible, mm-hmm. the only option for them, mm-hmm. or they can have this other super accessible and convenient option. Mm-hmm. And even if that's not just like s- single line transit, Mm-hmm. If there's other innovative solutions. Right. And so I think that that is really important to keep in mind as we're discussing Absolutely. this. Absolutely. There isn't like a catch all solution that mm-hmm. is like the one. And I think that sometimes people maybe just don't think about it in that way of like, oh, like we do want people to come to this place. Yeah. Because it means that we're doing something right. Like it's a desirable right. place to be. But how Absolutely. do we manage people getting there? Right. So, um, this, I think the way that they frame it is almost like preventative versus reactionary planning. Mm -hmm. So the reactionary planning being, oh my gosh, we have congestion. Like we need to widen the roads Yeah, because we need to like stop traffic. Yes. Focusing like on the delay and the speed of how people get there rather than access leads us to widen roads as our default solution when traffic slows rather than addressing the factors that are producing the traffic. And so that's kind of like the reactionary planning of like, oh, this happened. What are we going to do? Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. Whereas preventative planning moves more in the direction of, okay, how do we prevent this from happening in the future? Because we know it's not working. Yeah. We know adding more lanes isn't working. Right. 
And um, measuring speed does not necessarily provide a good representation of what we actually need from our transportation system, right? which is ultimately access to where we're going. Mm-hmm. And moving cars quickly often works against our other goals, like local economic activity, which is kind of what I was saying about like people not really having much like concern for how they're getting where they're getting. Right. Like you miss so much along the way. Sometimes you just got to get out and smell the roses or whatever they say. (laughs) Um, And like other goals, like providing a safe environment for walking and biking and creating places where people want to spend time. Yeah. And I feel like there's just so many like social commentaries. Like it just, it's how we spend our day. Like we don't like, we don't think about like, oh, I could walk to work and like see all these people and like get fresh air. It's like, I just need to get in my car, get to work, go to work, do my thing, go home. And that's it. Like, there's so much nuance of our day that's lost in the car. I know. I just think though, like, we definitely have to be sympathetic. Like, unfortunately, oh, absolutely. Like, un- I drive everywhere. Yeah. And like, unlike, you know, especially in the Bay Area. Yes. And it's like, I think, unfortunately, we don't have like the model of like European countries where right. I swear to God, they're like, I worked for three hours. I took a nap in the afternoon. I had dinner and then I worked again. And I'm like, right. what? Like, that's your schedule. I'm sorry. I'm on a strict like nine to five, eight to six, like, whatever the case. <laughs> And, you know, I don't have this like flexibility. And so I think too, that that could be like culturally, just how we, you know, are like for working conditions in the United States. hundred percent. It's like a big cultural thing. Yeah. So I think it's just like that sympathy to drivers who like, I know you have to get to your destination and I'm sympathetic to that. But at the same time, like you said, and as this report says, we are so fast to do this like quick and offhand, like, oh, okay, we're just going to really quickly widen the lane. And of course, like we're going to see the, and, and you do, you will see congestion relief pretty quickly. Like, like it does happen, but yeah, temporarily. Yeah. And that's the point is that it's a temporarily, it's a temporary relief, but in the long run, it is absolutely not the solution. And it 100% gets worse. Yeah. So I think it's just, as you said, it has to go to these preventative measures. And I think that's where it comes into like looking at micro mobility options and, you know, even just the simple solution of having protected bike lanes so that bikers feel safe and want to be on the road and Mm -hmm. want to continue biking versus fearing for their life, not being in a protected space. And it's just things like that, where I feel like if we were to actually come up with like, well, I'm sorry, we don't even have to come up with them. They're in existence. Mm -hmm. It's just that like the decision makers have to actually be more mindful about implementing these strategies rather than coming up with these like quick you know, one-off, like we're going to, we're going to add a lane and yeah, don't worry guys. And the thing is, and the problem is that this becomes like the talking point. Oh, we expanded the freeway and everybody's so happy for those first few months. They're over the moon. They're so happy with their elected official. Wow. You listened to us and you did what we asked and you've relieved congestion. And then three months later, they're like, oh my God, I'm back in the same problem what's going on and what's the solution. And for some reason they go back to, oh, we just need another lane. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is, is that this is also like the shortcoming of not educating people properly on like what these problems are and why they're happening. Because nobody, if they actually understood induced demand or the the problems associated with that would ever say, let's add more lanes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also a shortcoming. That's a, that's a problem. So hopefully this podcast (laughs) reaches new people that we're not familiar with induced demand and maybe you'll stop asking planners to expand the highways. Yeah. So we're going to end this on a productive note of what, what should we be doing? And not necessarily we, because we're not in policy. Well, we could be, but what could we do to influence policy and how should the policy be changed? Yeah. So number one, and these are all from the report. This report is not, this podcast is not sponsored by Transportation for America. Yeah. We just really like this report. We really like this report. 
So the first one is to reorient our national program around access, connecting people to jobs and services. So this kind of goes back to like these little communities that have resources within walking, biking distance. So bringing jobs, housing, and other destinations closer together to shorten and reduce the number and length of car trips that people need to take. Mm-hmm. Also goes back to our environmental goals. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah. Number two, require that transportation agencies stop favoring new roads over maintenance. And I think that this is a big one because there are some roads out there that are just horrendous. Mm -hmm. The state of them are really bad. And since we know that these highways expansions ultimately induce more traffic while simultaneously increasing the price tag to keep our nation's highways in good repair, Congress should actually require states to focus their available funding on the substantial repair backlog. Yes. I am not an expert on this, but I have driven some pretty bad highways. Yeah. Um, Number three, make short trips walkable by making them safe. This has a lot to do with um, speed limits, Mm -hmm. um, maintaining speed limits, of 35 miles per hour under and this is mostly on like smaller roads like Mm -hmm. arterial roads not like highways yeah um number four remove restrictions on pricing and allow departments of transportation to manage congestion and i don't know exactly what this one means if i'm being completely honest i kind of forget oh um I believe, okay, so I'm a bit confused about like restrictions on pricing, but the management of congestion comes down to actually getting people to pay their fair share of, of being like on the road. Pricing. Yeah, so congestion yeah. pricing. So at peak hours, you charge, you know, higher rates, and then this is going to be able to manage congestion. At other times, you know, you're basically the, the fee uh, to drive would fluctuate based on peak traffic periods. And so that's like one opportunity that could be utilized to manage congestion um just so that people aren't just getting on the road and you know whatever time they want with no consideration and i think that's another thing which is really interesting to me like when you don't have to think about you know paying your fair share to drive meaning like you are on the road your car is contributing to the issues, whether it be potholes or, you know, the lane deterioration, because you have a heavy duty vehicle or you have a a car that's on the road and you're driving. Um, so you have deteriorating lanes and highways that you're contributing to. If you do not own an electric vehicle or a hybrid vehicle, then you are also contributing to pollution, not just pollution in the air, but also noise pollution. If you're driving on a highway that's next to residential housing, um, or you're driving on a, on a highway that's next to like commercial spaces, um, so be it you should essentially be paying your fair share and you're not. And so when you're not thinking about that, you know, I've done this plenty of times where I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Then I go back home. Then I'm like, oh, wait, I forgot this other thing. I need to go to Target. Okay, get back in my car, go back down to Target. And I'm not conscious of that. Let's say you begin pricing, you know, the highway or you are charged based on your vehicle miles traveled. You do begin to rethink your trips, and you end up trip linking far more often. Mm-hmm. And you're a, a bit more mindful about, you know, how often you're driving, where you're driving to, and, you know, you're just more mindful about your trip. So I think it's, it's kind of addressing like that aspect of uh, congestion management just through congestion pricing. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's kind of what I had assumed, but yeah, that would be my assumption. as well. The last one is a little bit different, but it's to reward infill development and make it easier for localities and so this is again like orienting transportation funding um that seek more efficient ways of moving people by bringing destinations closer together through like this one is big about like land use decisions Mm -hmm. so infill development i'm correct me if i'm wrong but it's like where there's a site and it's like vacant or there's a parking lot or something and then you just like build 
housing or commercial on yeah. on that already vacant Basically, land. Yeah. And it's also like infill development is essentially just like where there are already existing residential commercial spaces. You're just building additional residential okay. spaces. Oh, so it doesn't have to be vacant. Yeah. So I think it's um, essentially my understanding of infill development is that it's just like the antithesis to urban sprawl. So it's like rather gotcha. than building farther out, you're going to build where there's already existing infrastructure for residential and um, commercial spaces. Okay. Because the concept is that if you're going to build farther out, uh, typically, I mean, it's a requirement of any developer that um, you have to supply the amenities. So whether it be water, you know, sewage, plumbing, mm-hmm. uh, electricity, all of that. Often when you're building urban sprawl and you're building in areas where maybe existing residential housing doesn't exist, you have to create all of these new amenities yourself. Mm-hmm. You're building these. Um, whereas when you're doing infill development, that burden is lessened because there's already existing infrastructure oh, that's available. And so I think that's like the benefit of infill development. Okay. That was a lot. What if I was like completely wrong and everyone's like infill development and I'm like, yeah, that's what it is. And then they go and they're talking to someone. They're like, that's actually not what it is. <laughs> well, we're still learning. Oh, OK. No, that's right. OK, so it's a building within unused or underutilized lands, but it's within existing development patterns. OK. So, yeah. Well, good thing I was right. Sorry yeah. if I wasn't, guys. <laughs> no, you were. Yeah. So that was um, a lot. Yeah, it was. But I feel uh, like it was, that that report, honestly, it, and we only summarized like yeah. we did not talk about everything that was involved. So yeah. if you really want like to do an even deeper dive, please go read that report because it was really, really interesting. Um, and it will just give you a lot of information on induced demand, traffic congestion, how how we operate moving forward. Um, I think there's just a lot of existing options that we have that can be improved and then utilized to give people alternative alternate options that are not their car, you know, utilizing their car. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's, you know, something that we really need to hammer home is that we need to stop focusing on the car as the only viable option to, you know, to get around because we do have all these other options that with improvements could be really, really competitive options to the car. And I know someone, someone got mad at me one time for saying that we need to create options that compete with the car. I don't really know why. And I'm, I'm sorry if you don't like that word, but the problem is, is that we do need to start competing with the car, not in the sense that like we're creating like competition of who's going to win what, but that I'm talking about competition in the sense that you know, the, it's the same travel time in a car. People have options. Exactly. It just, the car is inherently evil. It's just, it shouldn't be the only option. Exactly. And so when I use the word competition, I just mean that like, we need to be able to be head to head, you know, whatever option we choose needs to be head to head with the car, because that's the only way that it's going to be able to get people out of their car and into that other mode. And so I think, um, that's really important moving forward. All right. Well, with that, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Can't wait. And we will see you next week. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we don't have finals. So now we have no excuse. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not. <laughs>